So what do you think is in store for Maya in her life? I could only imagine incredible things knowing the story of her little family. Yeah. God has a big plan. Yeah. Amen. It's hard. Um, parents, you know, we dedicate our children, and, and in these moments we think, oh, God, uh, spare them all the hardness and the difficulty and, and the tragedy and spare me the tragedy of having my child go through something, but um, no one's exempt from the storms. Right. And so I anticipate um, difficulty for her and others, you know, all the children. Um, but it's, it, it, it is words like these that we're studying that make that life even possible to lean into. Without the promises of God, we need to stay in this space of denial that anything bad is going to happen. Right. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, right? Where we see so many offerings out there just being a chance to escape the difficulties. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are our commercials and ads really teaching us? If we do this thing, then yeah. we have the chance to escape the, the drudgery and the difficulties of life. But that doesn't seem to be on the offer with Jesus. Instead, something different is on the offer that, that he will bring purpose to those moments of life. That, that in those moments of life, he'll be present. Yeah, there's something, there's something about the suffering um, that Jesus himself endured. Yeah. That is, um, it tells us something that Jesus suffered. I think it tells us something pretty important. Yeah. I think, and one of the things it tells us, for instance, is it removes one of the options for why the suffering is taking place. You know, in, in the middle of suffering, one of the temptations is to consider the idea that maybe it's because God's not pleased with me. Right. But Jesus is the one that God said, I am well pleased with him. This is my son. Right. Right. So it, it can't possibly be that he's yeah. displeased that's yeah. causing it. Yeah. I heard someone talking about the Old Testament characters. Uh, they were saying, look, they, they, these are relatable characters. They, they're, they're, they're wonderful. They have a, they have a wonderful story. They're, they're, it's captured in Scripture, but they are clearly flawed human, flawed, human yeah. beings. Flawed yeah. human beings. Not heroes in the sense that we would normally think Not of heroes at all. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the guy that was doing the interviewing was questioning uh, in, in a very positive way. This, this theologian is quickly capturing my attention. And, and he said... And then comes Jesus, this ideal, and he says, although we can relate to some degree to the flawed individuals in the Old Testament, along comes the ideal, and we can't relate. This was the setup to the event. We can't relate to that. Except in some ways we can. Maybe in every way. This is what's amazing about Jesus is that he's not Zeus. Right. Or Hercules or all the rest. Yeah, he isn't an, you know, a uh, above it all, distant, above the suffering, above the trial, and uh, in, in a way that we can only imagine that we could live like him. Right. He's incarnate right in the middle of the mess. You think about, like, actual mess, right? The, the stable, right? Yeah, right. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't stay distant. And he's impacted by it. He suffers under the load of life, human life, he suffers under the same kinds of temptations, the same kinds of everything. And so we have this Savior, this Messiah, this human, fully human, fully God. We can't forget he's both, fully God, fully human. But there is a humanity that we can see 
through the humanity of Jesus, as much as we can see the deity of the work, the, the work of deity in Jesus, we see the humanity of God through the perfect human, the humanity of it. The, the fully human being. Yes, yes. We're not asked to uh, live up to the ideal of some strong man that's untouched. We're asked to follow someone that we can actually relate to, actually relates to us, and by following him, what we find is an opportunity to become, through it all, fully human. Fully human, like, like the one who is most fully expressing the image of God. Yeah. Right? You, you see that all throughout the New Testament, that Paul says, that's our destiny, actually, to, to take on the likeness of him who yeah. most fully bore the likeness of God. Yeah. It actually reminds me of uh, um, Velveteen Rabbit. It does. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I have heard this. I want to know. Yeah, no, I just thought of it. It might not have been a good idea. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> it's a special kind of melancholy story, so I think it's going to be good. Well, the, the, the Velveteen Rabbit is the story of a doll that was given to a child that's in pristine shape, and you, you try to protect it by the end of that dolly's life along with this child. It's got an eye torn out. It's yeah. ripped apart, but it has become something loved and connected with in all of its flaws. And this is what we have in Jesus. We don't have a savior that is, in one sense, well, untouched and undamaged and unhurt by the world. We have someone who shows us how to be human through it, not above it. It's just a fascinating thing. Suffering, like you, like you mentioned, uh, it, here's what it says, that uh, this is verse 4-ish, uh, uh, 5. Uh, so all of this stuff that we get, this living hope, this inheritance, it can never fade, it's kept in heaven, right? This isn't something you can lose. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation and is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. In all of this gospel, all of this goodness, all of this security and inheritance, you rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And they have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, may result in praise and glory and honor in Jesus. This is what you're saying. There's purpose and value in the suffering. Yeah. And Jesus shows us how to live in it and through it. Yeah, Peter situates Jesus in this letter as the paradigm. He says, you, you've been rejected. He's talking to the people, his audience. You've been rejected. You are enslaved. You are living on the margins of society. You're living without rights. But let's remember that our Savior did the same. Let's follow after him as he walked through the very same valley that we're walking through. Yeah. And then we discover at the end of the first section here that we are receiving, verse 9, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I would suggest that that phrase, salvation of your soul, is too strongly oriented and um, exclusively given to eternal life. Yeah, I think that's the tendency. The salvation of your soul. Oh, this is the end of my faith. The salvation of your soul. Jesus talked so often about how you can have eternal life now. It's coming to you now. Abundant big, life. Abundant life. Yeah. True life. Full humanity. The, the end result of your faith, of course, is eternal security. It's talked about. 
but the salvation of our soul, the, the something deep within us that we can have in this lifetime is what happens as a result of our faith through the suffering. And we have one who walks with us through it, has experienced to allow us to get through it and enjoy the salvation of our souls. Real time. Real time, in the present, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you read ahead in the, in the book of Peter? I read a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little worried, actually. <laughs> uh, because of what's coming? Don't you feel that? Well, Peter doesn't shy away, that's for sure. It's going to go nuts here. Like, this is all really great stuff. And then, you know, Peter's, uh, just cast the setting here for where Peter's at, what's going on in Rome. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, at the end of the letter, I did read ahead. He tells us he's in Babylon. Good. He tells us his friend Silas is helping him write this letter from Babylon. Uh, Babylon is a sort of biblical geography here. It means a place opposed to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. you, th you see throughout scripture the word Babylon used, of course, literally in some cases, there is a city, it's called Babylon. But there's also this posture, a place where people are postured away from God, uh, sort of east of Eden, mm -hmm. kind of. And uh, so, so Peter uses that to, to sort of encapsulate what is he experiencing in Rome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's experiencing a place postured away from the heart of God. There, there's a few people, there's a, a few households that are uh, coming to grips with the beauty of what Jesus has done, but they're doing it in the midst of, well, mockery, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. I, I thought about showing this image. I didn't bring it, but... It's possible that the very first image made of Jesus was a graffiti at a, a Roman bath and a graffiti making fun of people who worshiped Jesus. Sure. Basically, there's an image of someone on a cross, but they've drawn this image of the person on the cross with a donkey's head. And then they're making fun of their friend for worshiping Jesus. Right. This is the kind of scorn. Why would you worship him? Right. It doesn't fit this any of the so molds. Silly. It's right. not Zeus. It's not a strong man. He's not a hero. Look how vulnerable this person he is. He's very vulnerable. He, would yeah. make, he wouldn't even be a good leader, let alone a good god. Right. His idea of power is completely different yeah. than what they're used to. They're, they're used to looking up on Palatine Hill and seeing the power flow down the mountain. Yeah. There's something different here. And this is the problem that's coming. This is what's coming. Peter, Peter is going to say again and again and again, our understanding of power is wrong. Our understanding of how the world changes is wrong. The way we go about it naturally, the way the systems of the world are naturally built, uh, do not work. And the way that works is unsettling. Right. But he calls us to put our trust in it. Like if you look at these next few verses, he's saying, he's, he's reminding us here, place your hope here in this gospel, the gospel put on display by Jesus. Not the gospel that is announced when Nero takes the throne, not the gospel of you know, any other figure, right. only Jesus. Yes. If you read it here, you can see his insistence, come back to it. Yep. This has always been the plan in a sense. This is uh, verse 10. Right. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, and even angels long to look into these things. There's a couple of things that actually jump out at me. One of the things that 
is interesting and I think might have been startling for a first century group of people listening in, trying to gain the wisdom that Peter has on offer here is this sense that the spirit of Christ was actually at work in the prophets. Spirit of Christ. It says it right there. You and I both were struck by that. We're reading through this this week. The prophets <laughs> anticipating are moved by the spirit of Christ. Right. The, the, the Christ who had recently, you know, been crucified and resurrected was at work. Was at work in all the prophets. Along. All along. How do, you, how do you take that? It's not plan B. No. Jesus isn't plan B. Yeah, that's, that's something that we have to come to grips with, that this is what God had intended to do about evil all along. He wasn't trying certain things, throwing it against the wall, seeing if it sticks. All along, he said, here's what I'll do. I will subsume it. I will absorb it. I will take it onto the cross on yeah. my, my own and set them free from it. Yeah. I'm not going to overcome it with the sword or the, the point of the spear. Rather, I'm going to absorb the point of the spear. Yeah, literally. Literally absorb the point of the spear. And socially and politically and militarily falls on his sword. Right? And you think about what an incredible plan this is. Because what's, what's the problem that, that God is taking on? It's that human beings have rejected him, have rejected following after him. Yeah. So that's the problem. Yeah. And that problem leads to Jesus being put on the cross. So the problem is human beings have rejected God and his way of life. Yeah. And that puts Jesus on the cross. What's the solution? Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. He, he takes the problem and actually turns it into the solution. That's, uh, no philosopher is going to come up with that. No. And, and, and it sounds like this is the thing I think we have to come to terms with is Peter's saying, and you get to participate in this. Yeah. And if you just put a positive, in a sense, glowing spin on the gospel, that sounds great. Oh, I get to participate with Jesus, that's great. I'm, I'm included. I'm chosen. It's like, it's, this is the thing that disturbs me about the letter. This is what's coming. You're chosen. You're a part of this. No matter who you are, you can participate with the Son of God. And then you see what they did to Jesus. Right? Right. Well, what does that mean? Well, before we get to that, we do have to realize it is the most amazing, profound opportunity that humanity has ever had, even the angels. Right, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. By those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. It is such a privilege. But I think that we have to also come to grips with the fact that we are, that human beings are twisted up enough that we might not see it as a privilege. (laughs) <laughs> right, we might think. Or we do, and it's because we don't understand what we're participating in. Right, we look at this word gospel, and maybe you and I are all using the same word gospel, but we actually mean something slightly different. I know for Peter, he had to travel along this road of understanding more and more fully, what does this gospel entail? He went from having a very set idea that you know, God was going to accomplish a good thing, sure, but it was going to be a triumph that looked like all the other triumphs that anybody yeah. had seen historically. Right. And it was going to be for Peter and his people. 
-hmm. It was going to be limited in scope in a certain way. Mm -hmm. He had to learn that this gospel looked different than he expected and was better than he could ever have imagined. Yeah. And I would imagine Peter, uh, from what we know of him, would have wanted to be the point, the tip of the spear. Yeah. Yeah, he swings that sword pretty readily, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he wants to be a part of this move of God to suppress evil, to release prisoners, to conquer bad kingdoms, and he has a certain idea of what that looks like, and we see it early in the Gospels. He, just like everyone else, is hoping for a powerful Messiah. Yeah, Peter wants Jesus to switch places with Caesar, and Jesus instead switches places with Lazarus. Yeah. That's a very different idea. So I think we're tempted, right, when we think about the gospel to, to, to sort of dress it up in a way that's a little bit more palatable, a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. I think it's... Or if not completely wrong. Like, right. just come to, God, come to Jesus and your life will be better. Come to Jesus and you, you will uh, have, uh, you know, this, all that you, is wrong with your life will be, will be fixed. Yeah. And we, we bait and switch the rest of the world as a church. Come to church and we're going right. to, and it's like, I keep thinking, man, don't come to church because your life is going to go upside down. You're going to have to turn the corner of what used to be important to you. You're going to let go of stuff that you are, you are so enmeshed with. It's yeah. going to be brutal. Yeah, the abundant life that Jesus is talking about apparently is not referring to a bank account or you know, right. anything else. So let's put you back in, in 61 AD. Let's try it. Um, uh, and you're, you're, you knew Peter. Okay, so you knew Peter. Yeah. You're reading this letter. There's no internet. You haven't had an email or a text exchange with Peter. The, the, the ability to communicate with uh, your friends, your family, right. non-existent. You get very few glimpses. And you're reading this letter from Peter. Contrast that with who you knew. Right. I think it's a 180, right? Yeah. And I think actually it would have been, I think it would have been slightly uncomfortable. I don't know if it would have even been believed. Right. Like, this is Peter? <laughs> double check. <laughs> right? Check the references again, right? I think it would have been uncomfortable. I, I think we could see that actually elsewhere in the New Testament. You know, there's moments that we have insight into that we know would have happened before this, letters that would have been circulating before this. So, for instance, Galatians, not far from where we are if we're sitting in uh, Cappadocia. Yeah. And in the book of Galatians, we see Peter himself shying away from these radical shifts Right, the, 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 the radical equality that he knows God is calling for is actually uncomfortable for him. He was sharing table fellowship with the Gentiles and then there's a little pressure put on him, right. apparently from Jerusalem, yeah. and he shrinks back. He shrinks. So I think that, at, at, on the one hand, it would be sort of startling and you might say, wait, I have to, I have to double check, is this really Peter? But I think another thing about it is it would be such... Uh, a sort of inherent uh, apologetic for what Peter was saying. How else could someone shift from one edge of the ledger to the other unless right. it was by the work of God? Right, right. There's a, there's a significant hope in there. Like if, if I'm sitting there 60 AD reading this letter, I think there really is hope. 
Look at this yeah. man, who, where, where he was and where he is now. Yeah, yeah. What a privilege to participate in that. Mm-hmm. But he, and so we see in Peter exactly what God would hope to see in us. Yeah. This following of Jesus, this contemplation of his son, this participation with him, and a transformation into true humanness as it was intended. We're seeing it in Peter. Right. Yeah, you're seeing what Paul might say in a bit more of a theological sense where Paul says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, you're not saved by works, but you are saved for works, right? If you look at the next few verses here, 13 and on, it says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as, as, at his coming as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance, right? There is a sense of holiness that Peter, or sorry, he's calling for, right? right? Mm-hmm. And later he'll talk about obedience again. Later he says, be holy as he is holy. Mm-hmm. But this is not the way to salvation. This is... The, the, the fullness of life that is given to you because of your salvation. Yes. Right? It's, it's not performance-based salvation, but it's a privilege to participate yeah. in the work of God. And just like we have a misunderstanding of um, what it means to be... Um, well, let me just go straight to the point here. Go there. But yeah. Uh, this idea of holiness... Yeah falls in line with the other things we've been talking about. That it is not what you think it is. Well, then what is it? <laughs> well, what we think it is is some kind of a spiritual perfection. Right. But this is exactly, we're going to see this in a minute. What Peter is calling us into is a life that is arguably impossible to choose. Right. There's a verse that says, um, is this in 1 Corinthians about? Um, no one can call. No on one can call, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you, no one can call Jesus Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. Right. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's actually a miracle. You, you, right? you're, you're in, you, you, would, you should be made fun of. You should be mocked if you choose Jesus as Lord because it is giving up all of your opportunity to excel and arrive and succeed and gain fortune in this world, you would be setting aside what you could rightly have for what? An eternal promise, no promise here. You actually are asked to give up. No one's going to do that apart from a move of the Spirit of God. No one can even begin to understand it. So this idea of holiness is that process of refinement. Yeah. Again, kind of a brutal pouring out of self, dying to self. Dying to self. But Peter's not wrong to talk about it in terms of rejoicing, I don't think. Right. Right, you think about participation. Have you ever... Am I painting too ugly of a picture here? I think so. I'm going to try to to copy that. Um, So, uh, have have you been somewhere to serve? Have you been there with children? Uh, yesterday, we were, uh, we were putting together some food packages uh, alongside Jaira Ministries. And it actually was, I think, the abundant life on display, uh-huh. especially there were children there. 
Some of them were mine. And just to see the joy that there is in participating. Mm-hmm. In fact, what was frustrating, if anything ever became frustrating during the day, was a chance that ah, I didn't get to carry the food to the car. I didn't get to, yeah. I wanted so badly to participate. Mm. It is a joy. It I is. think it's the, I think it's the abundant life. It is. And that's the, that's the, that's the carrot is what would seem, I'm, I'm painting the picture negatively because it's, we can only in our natural minds imagine that this is going to end badly when you follow Jesus yeah. based on what Jesus did and how he ended up, right. you know, but the, the, the switch is, no, this is the most amazing, fulfilling, satisfying, soul-changing, profound, rooted confidence you could ever find. Becoming who you were always meant to be. It's an excavation of this, this image of God that might be buried under the debris or the rubble, but it's becoming who you were meant to be. Earlier, we were talking about Jonah. Jonah and Peter's story are very similar. They're not on board with God's program mm-hmm. to begin with. And we, we sort of joked that Jonah doesn't contribute very much, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about the story that's amazing. You think about this short little story about Jonah grudgingly, sort of step by step, coming into alignment with God's mission, and you realize that actually God didn't need Jonah at any one of those moments. Right. God did not need Jonah to accomplish his goal. His goal. Right? When Jonah is asleep at the bottom of the ship and the storm is raging, Jonah is hardly lifting a finger to help anyone. He doesn't care if he dies, and he doesn't care if they die. And yet, those people in that boat worship God at the end of that storm. Yes. God right. does not need Jonah. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and, and you, get to, you get to Nineveh, and Jonah gives this real really half-hearted sermon. Yeah. He doesn't want it to work. You're giving work. him more credit now than you did earlier. Now. Yeah. It's bad. It doesn't, he doesn't even want it to work. Yeah, right, that's then right. Because he, he goes up above yeah. the city and he was like hoping that maybe God will actually still destroy them. Yeah. So he's up here. Right. Doesn't want to get caught in the... God doesn't need Jonah. Yeah. Why is, jo- why is God so insistent? Because he's trying to bring Jonah along into who he was meant to be. He's trying to set Jonah free. And being truly free, to be, to be unhindered is to be a child of God who is communicating to other people that they are children of God. To be fully mm. human is to be partnered with God. So, so God doesn't need Jonah, but he wants to bring him along. Mm. And he did the same for Peter. Mm. And Peter has this in mind for the church too. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that they might struggle with other f- visions, other lower G gospels, other ideas on how to escape. And Peter's interested in something more, more beautiful, yeah. more lasting, a true flourishing. What, what we see happening in chapter 2, um, as the, the girls and um, Lucas, did you notice Lucas on the keyboards over there with all the Fire, girls singing so over there? Yeah, he was playing it up Gosh. over there. Um, they sang about and talked about the cornerstone mm-hmm. that's covered by Peter here in chapter two. And that cornerstone is, is to summarize, a stumbling block. It's, the, it's the, 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 the building, the thing that you need for to be totally human, to, to experience all that you were meant to be. The cornerstone of that, that building, that house, that development, that renovation is Jesus. But that very cornerstone is gonna cause some to stumble because it makes no sense. It's foolishness to the Greeks. Foolishness to the Greeks. And so he goes through that, but then he reminds us, you are chosen, 
royal priesthood, you're, you're part of the God family, you're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This ability to see life from a completely different paradigm, to, be, to redefine what good is, right. to redefine what success is, to right. redefine what life is. And then he makes this switch. This is the foreboding cloud in my mind when we get to. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, and we won't be able to get too deep into this. What actual time is it? It's 5 to okay. What time of day? Time of day. Time of day. What else would I be it's asking? It's almost 11. There? What time is it? I don't know. Like, is it harvest like, time? Sure. Or <laughs> sure. Lunch time? He, he transitions here in verse 11. <laughs> I urge you, friends, live as foreigners and exiles. I have to believe that he's drawing on the Old Testament here, and he's saying, think about those of our Jewish past, our history, that were exiled and were foreigners. Saying, look, you're not... Not, Peter's not in calling them to live in Jerusalem, per se. He's saying, you need, to, you need to live in the world that is antithetical to the whole approach to Christ. You should be living your life upstream in a downstream world. Well, you said he was rooting it in Old Testament language. Who are you thinking of? Daniel. Okay, so how did Daniel do it? Well, he lived... In, in, in many ways, as one in that culture. He was he, exiled. He was exiled. So he's, to Babylon. He's in Babylon. So you're, you're, you're living like that. You're in an economy that you're deferring to. Now, he wouldn't cross the line of worship. That's, a, that's an interesting line. Right? He's not going to bow to that emperor. And we see it time and time again through the Old Testament of those who were exiled, living, eating, and entertaining, you know, you know, living, but when it came to bow, they wouldn't, and they would suffer. But just like Daniel, he's calling us into a world. You know, Jesus said, you know, he says, well, who's, who's this coin? He goes, whose picture's on it? Caesar's picture. Well, give it to Caesar. It's his, you know. You're, you're in this world. You're in this context, but, and you should be in that context, but you should be living with values and principles of particularly power that are opposite. In worship of God. I think, it's, I think it's really interesting you said give this coin to Caesar. His image is on it. Well, I'm made in the image of God. My, I give myself yeah. to God only. Yeah, only. Right? I may, I may obey the laws of the land to a certain extent, but my worship goes only one direction. Yeah, yeah. And this is the part that I feel like is, 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 is pretty big. <clears throat> in, in verse 13... It's, again, imagine, Peter's writing this in Rome. Nero's in charge. It's getting ugly, and it's, and it's going to get uglier, and it's going to reach out into all the spaces, even to these men that are in Cappadocia, you know, a couple, you know, what we understand, countries away from, you got Greece and Italy, Rome. Yeah. So, and, and they're under oppression. They've been under oppression. This is the history of the Jew, is they're under oppression, and the whole, you know, agenda is to get out to not be the 98-pound weakling anymore and get on top. And Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. 
hard to fathom, especially because we have the hindsight of knowing Peter is crucified by that authority yeah. upside down. So there's, there, he doesn't give in to the culture. He doesn't take on their mantle. He doesn't take on their vision for life. He doesn't. Yeah, although he lives within it. He lives within it, yeah. But as an exile. As an exile. So we're going to live. We, get, we, we have a world in which we live. We have a nation in which we live. We're the state and a city in which we live. And we live by and large by the laws and the rules and the regulations of those spaces. But within it, we don't live according to the same principles of power and good, and it's, it's radically opposed. What we see, and we'll dig into this next week, is Peter saying, I'm not asking you to rise up and change your context. It wouldn't have worked anyway. <laughs> they would have been crushed. If they tried to rise up and overthrow, it's, no, it's not going to work. The, yeah. the, the power that Rome exudes would have just trampled them under their feet. But it would be a more valiant death. Okay. Right? To rise According up. According to some, I guess. To, yeah, right. To rise up and to be crushed by the authority and just to And he's saying, look, I am not looking, like you said earlier, Jesus is not trying to take the place of Caesar. That's not what, what we're about. We're not trying to change the context. We are trying to change the world. Yes. But from the inside out. Yes. Right, so when, when he goes into the next, and we're not going to go into this, I just want to paint this picture. In, in verse 18, he talks about slaves. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. That's well, crazy talk. Uh, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate to the, as you live with your wives. Uh, Peter understands there are cultural norms we understand that there are cultural norms in which we live. There are things that are wrong with the cultural norms, maybe many things. Yet, the point of the gospel life isn't to rise up and to powerfully change these contexts. It's to live differently inside of it. And bring about the transformation, because that's exactly what does happen, right? We see uh, it happening with Peter. We see it happening with Peter. And Saw then- it with Jonah. If we're, if we're imagining the context of Cappadocia, our spiritual descendants, a couple of centuries later, will give the world's first full-throated abolitionist sermon. Gregory of Nyssa, who's from Cappadocia, is going to condemn slavery when they had enough yeah. sway, enough yeah. critical mass to yeah. actually do it from the legal standpoint. Yeah. They did it that way. The, the, the wisdom of Paul and Peter blow my mind that had they looked at their culture and tried to rally what was happening in order to powerfully change those things, like to, to forcibly change uh, the, the husband and wife relationship of that culture, the slave-master relationship, they understood that to do that was to just go backwards into Old Testament law that there was something else going on here and to make a rule, like Paul could have said, no, there's no slaves in our churches. Why? Because I'm Paul and I'm rising up and I'm in charge and there is no more. Do you understand? Can you see how that does not solve it? 
because the hearts are still bad. Somehow, by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, the gospel reached their hearts and they understood that Jesus could change a heart, that the Spirit could move, and that was far better than any kind of leveraged and forced shift, even though it would be morally better, behaviorally more in alignment with God, more holy. What is holier is the transformation of a master who is now in the service with the slave. What is going to happen? When it's not masters don't have slaves anymore, what is the, what is the admonition now? Love your brother and your sister as fully as you can in the, in the way of Christ. How do you love a person and keep them as a slave? Eventually you don't. And that's what we see happen. So for us, we have to find a way to press this gospel vision as deeply into our own hearts and minds as we can. And historically, the church has done this lots of different ways. Met together, broken bread together, um, recited the creeds together. Hmm. Maybe we could do that. Let's do that. Let's finish up with that, and we'll dig into this more later. Peter is promising what Jesus promised, an abundant life, a full life, humanity at its best. And the pathway is different than we imagine. Jesus says to his disciples, you know where I'm going, so follow me. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. The way I did it is the way. That's not just that Jesus saved us. It's how he saved us. That's the way. That's the way. All right, let's stand together and do the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> I think it's popping up here on the screen. We might yeah. have a view in the back. Why don't you lead it, Adam? Sure. Will you recite this creed with, with me and with our brothers and sisters through the history of the church? I believe in God, God the Father, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Lord, we join our voices to those voices that have spoken this creed over the centuries whose vision for life came to be molded by your vision for life, whose understanding of freedom was immersed in your understanding of freedom. Lord, we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with them as they give their lives to you. We are following after you in your way, praying for our transformation, praying that our, our likeness would, would turn towards yours mm. more and more fully, mm -hmm. that we would bear 
the image and the likeness of God, the one that you granted us and the one that you excavated. Lord, we, we, we pray for that to be our vision, eyes to see the true gospel and good news found only in you. And we pray all these things in mm-hmm. your son's name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Discover more of God this week, church. Discover your humanity. God bless you. And we'll see you at Dublin next week. Yep, one more.